This is Hot and Dry, a podcast about climate change in the Southwest. And about how it's changing the places we live and how it's changing our lives. I'm Paige Buono. And I'm Colin Haffey. So here we are, season three of Hot and Dry. Uh, we're calling this season Climate Influencers. Which you think is a pun, don't you? Uh-huh. I think it's a pun. So here's why I think it's a pun. So on the one hand, we have things like climate influencers, which are these like, you know, greenhouse gases, so methane, carbon dioxide, you know, complex interactions in the troposphere and stratosphere, really sort of nerdy stuff. And then on the other hand, we have this idea of like what an influencer is. So it's like a social media person who do ads on Instagram for free things. And um, it's a game I haven't wandered into. It's also something I'm pretty late to as I just learned about social media influencers during the pandemic. So we combine the two things together and we're going to focus on people who are working in New Mexico or working from New Mexico doing really cool things to influence how we adapt as a community and a culture to climate change. I think your definition also illustrates maybe how late you are to the game. <laughs> climate influencers. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not what the kids call cool. I don't even think they use that word anymore. Oh, for so, real? There's that. But anyway, do they use rad? Do do you think kids use rad still? I don't. I don't. Oh, but shit. I hope I'm wrong because I think that's one that should stick around. Personally. I like that. Advocating for rad. But in addition to our new super hip theme this season, we're switching up a couple other things. Yeah, that's right. So obviously, one thing is is our regular co-host Callie Carswell is off to work on important things with the legislative branch in New Mexico. So she's doing. Awesome work there. So in her place, we've brought in Paige and really excited to have Paige as the co-host. Thanks, Colin. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. Well, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, definitely. I, Similar to Kelly, I have a background in writing and storytelling. Some time ago, I got my master's degree um, in creative nonfiction from the University of Arizona. Paige went to school at University of Arizona, which is, of course, famous for its paleontological studies, but she is unfortunately not a paleontologist. I don't even know if that's true. Is that true? It is true. I can confirm that, unfortunately, I am not a paleontologist. Oh, but Arizona, but I don't know, is Arizona known for paleontology? No, I'm pretty sure you made that up, too. <laughs> <laughs> tree rings. I know they do a lot of tree rings. We love the tree ring guys. We do love the tree ring guys. We should have, we don't, we do, we probably will have somebody talk about tree rings. Oh, yeah, we'll have somebody talk about tree rings this season, no doubt. Yeah, because you can't understand. How do you understand the current influencers if you don't understand the influencers of the past? Wait, is this really how we decided to start it? <laughs> this is the top of the thing. We didn't write anything better than this. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was saying. I thought we had a whole like opening thing here. Give me one second. Oh my god. Uh, yeah. Let's start with con do you want to tell us about who we have as our guest today yeah so our guest today is melanie stansbury she's running for congress in the first district for new mexico and we talked to melanie about her plans to address climate change if she's elected to congress and she has some really great ideas but one thing is clear 
uh, and this is something that we know, but there's no silver bullet in climate change or climate change adaptation. It's true. Um, but I really appreciated in our conversation with Melanie that she didn't leave us completely stranded on there's no silver bullet island. Um, she emphasized place-based responses that pull from existing and traditional knowledge, and she brought together a lot of other issues like food security and water. I really liked how she wove all those things together, and especially like the idea of kind of, you know, getting to a, a better future through food. Uh, that's that's definitely right up my alley, especially when you combine that with some some green chili and some good New Mexico cuisine. Before we get distracted with food and green chili, uh, how about you tell us a little bit about who Melanie Stansberry is? You know, what has she done? You touched on it earlier, but Melanie Stansberry is um, a New Mexico state representative for the 28th district in Albuquerque. She's also a scientist. And this February, when Deb Holland was confirmed as the Secretary of the Interior, Melanie joined a handful of candidates vying for the Democratic nomination to fill her seat. Um, and she won. So now she's in the midst of a rapid fire campaign for the June 1st special election. Um, and, and if she wins, it would send her back to Washington. Um, that's what she's up to now. But do you want to tell us a little about the backstory that brought her here? Yeah, for sure. So Melanie was born and raised in New Mexico, and she has a master's in sociology from Cornell University, where she focused on water governance. After that, she went to work in D.C. for about seven years, uh, and she spent time in the Obama administration as part of the Office of Management and Budget, and she worked for the Council on Environmental Quality. So two pretty nerdy, wonky places to be, but, you know, nerdy and wonky is right up our alley. So she also worked for Senator Maria Cantwell on the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee. She told us a story about one of her first days in D.C. Um, she was an intern, and the first task handed to her was fact-checking the Deepwater Horizon oil spill report. Yeah, and, and just as a reminder, the Deepwater Horizon oil spill was that major spill back in 2010 that lasted all summer and just put you know, billions of gallons of oil into the Gulf of Mexico and it killed a bunch of pelicans and it was just a huge disaster for the fishing and shrimping industry in the Gulf. Yeah, Melanie and I's experiences of internships were really different. I, I would agree with that. I think on my first day as an intern, I was asked to, you know, like go move the truck around and make sure that it had, you know, the, the tire pressure was up up to snuff and, and it had fresh oil, things like that. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Some version of... Uh... Air and tires, coffee, coffee machines. But yeah, so definitely some different experiences there. So Melanie really likes to just get down to business, and that's what we did for the interview. We just jumped in with a with a really kind of hard question right off the bat. Yeah, I mean, technically, we did all get another, a second, or maybe for some of us, third cup of coffee first, but then we got to it. So thanks, Melanie, for joining us. It's great to have you. Yeah. What are your plans uh, to address climate change? I think it's a really exciting time in climate policy. You know, the last time that we tried to get comprehensive climate legislation through Congress was during the previous administration, during the Obama administration early on. And I think a lot of the focus at that time was heavily on greenhouse gas for obvious reasons. And I think that part of what's happened in the climate movement over the last decade is that we've also come to understand that climate change is already here. It's already impacting our communities in terms of water supplies and fire and agriculture, soil moisture, things like that. But also that if we are going to take seriously this need to transition, 
we have to really fundamentally change the fabric of our economy and how our communities are able to make a living. And so there's been this whole movement around just transition and economic diversification, which is something people have talked about for a long time, but um, we're starting to actually see legislation and policies that help support that. So as I'm thinking about you know, if I'm lucky enough to serve our congressional district and go back to Washington is how to take the best of all of that thinking, because we do have to address green, greenhouse gases and there's already, you know, lots of good proposals and ideas out there. We do have to address resilience. And I think some of the primary ways we do that is through infrastructure funding and land and water management changes. But I think the pieces that are really exciting are these pieces about economic diversification and just transition and thinking about it through a whole new paradigm that's community centered. How do you envision that just um, transition happening on, you know, indigenous lands or with indigenous communities? I think a lot of it is already happening. Um, so there's um, a, some really cool planning and programs and um, land management, water management activities that are happening here in New Mexico already. Um, you know, there's a number of Pueblos here in the middle Rio Grande who are doing some really cool forest restoration and watershed restoration work, um, which will also have co-benefits of carbon sequestration. Um, a number of tribes in our state have done climate adaptation planning that integrates the science of, you know, what's happening to the, la the landscape and the water and all of that with, you know, cultural values and, and a vision for how communities want to, um, you know, interact with the natural world going forward. So I actually think a lot of that is already happening. Um, but I think that in particular, when you look at communities, for example, up north in the Four Corners, where we have a power plant that's shutting down, um, which is a power plant that my mom actually worked at um, many years ago, you know, the question is, how do you replace those good paying union jobs that people have worked their entire careers at in places where there's limited economic activity? And I think that's kind of the next chapter of climate planning is that sort of large scale economic planning, because there aren't sort of immediate answers. And, um, you know, the challenge is how do you balance the reality that we are facing a climate crisis and the need to act quickly with the reality that we have to make sure that communities can make a living and have meaningful jobs. And I think that that has to happen within communities themselves. They have to really think about what is the kind of economic activity we wanna have going forward? What are our strengths? What can we lean into? And then have the resources to help support building out those industries. And that's where I think, you know, the federal government and state government can be a partner with tribes and with communities to help make that happen. Yeah, Melanie, I really appreciate your emphasis on, you know, bringing those ground up solutions um, to meet the sort of top down policies that, you know, at their best can help um, promote and put those things in action. I'm curious, given your background at the Office of Manage Management and Budget and um, the Council on Environmental Quality, which as I think Colin mentioned earlier, some pretty wonky top-down places. Um, is there any one thing that we should be focusing on or doing that no one else is really talking about or that isn't very mainstream? I think that's the challenge of climate change is that 
there is no one thing because climate change manifests in so many different ways in the different places that it's happening. But as you were asking that question, it really took me back to my time working for the federal government. So um, I worked between 2011 and 2015, I worked in the White House Office of Management and Budget. And I worked both on earth sciences and the president's climate action plan. And I did tribal affairs at the time. And during that time, President Obama had stood up this state, local, and tribal task force that was traveling the country and meeting with communities to ask the question, what does climate change look like in your community? What are, what are the resources that you need and how do we help as the federal government be a partner to address those issues? And um, you know, one experience that really stands out in my mind is that there was um, a village from uh, Northern Alaska um, called Shishmaref, which is, is on a barrier island in the Bering Sea. And some of the community uh, leadership had come to Washington DC to meet with White House officials about climate change, because there's a, a whole number of communities up in the Northern Arctic areas that are being eaten away by um, these large storms that are happening in the Arctic seas up there because of climate change. And um, I had the opportunity to actually travel up there and go um, travel to the island and, and meet with people in the community. And the takeaway that I took from that experience is that there's no easy answers. You know, like we are facing really an existential moment in our time on earth and trying to figure out for communities in particular that are land-based and that have lived in places for thousands of years that are rapidly changing, there's no easy answers. You know, do you stay? Do you change your way of life? If your way of life is tied to the land, but the land is changing, what does that mean? And so, you know, what that means in Shishmaref, Alaska, and what that means at Cochiti Pueblo in New Mexico, and what that means, you know, in the Everglades are going to be vastly different things. And so that is, I think, the big challenge of climate change is trying to really understand the science, understand what's coming, and then to translate that at the most local level into the values and desires and needs of the community. How is climate change affecting our water supplies and what will that mean for the future of all of our communities? So for me, the focus has been really heavily on water, especially the last few years. In, in all of those challenges, right, there's immense opportunities to learn from each other. And I think the cultural diversity of New Mexico, how does that you know influence your um, you're thinking when you're bringing all this sort of the, the culture and, and the science together, you know, to solve problems and, and address challenges. Our systems, all of our systems, whether it's the physical infrastructure or the governance or our cultural systems are tied to a climatic regime that is not what we're looking towards in the future. And so it's not just that we're having to adapt our infrastructure, like our entire cultural systems are also going to have to change. And, and I think that is something that's so heavy that we're just beginning to kind of grapple with. One of the things that's so amazing about New Mexico is that we have cultures that have been here for thousands of years, right? That have lived in this landscape and have thrived and been resilient in times of change. And I think the source of 
um, that resilience is what um, enables people to adapt and change. And so as we're looking forward during this time, as things are changing, I think that our communities will tap that resilience and that knowledge and that wisdom and, um, and reimagine and create new futures, right? That um, continue to connect people to the land and continue to connect people to water. You know, it's not just um, revitalizing culture in traditional ways, but also looking forward and thinking about what does the future of our communities look like? How do we make them more resilient? And I think we're we're increasingly borrowing from the wisdom of the past to you know build a more resilient future heading heading forward. Melanie, thanks so much. I think before we let you go, we want to shift gears and dive into something a little you know into a little bit more kind of personal conversation. Um, and I'm curious on a personal level, what is one thing that's worrying you or inspiring you that no one else is talking about? And don't feel like it has to be tied to climate change doors open. You know, I think that we're living at a really interesting and exciting inflection moment around food in our society, um, especially because of the pandemic. So I helped to convene a statewide food and hunger working group. And one of the things that we saw as a huge transformation this year is that, you know, Prior to this year, New Mexico's food system, most of our food is exported out of state that's produced here, and most of the food that we consume is imported from out of state. So there's this really weird juxtaposition, but because our entire food system was disrupted by the pandemic, a lot of our local farmers now started sourcing food for food banks and local grocery stores. And so I think there's this really exciting um, reconnection of our food system that people have been talking about for many years, but there were, the institutional barriers were just so huge. And so that's one of the things that I'm most excited about is how do we take what was an incredibly challenging thing that happened over this last year, but that created new opportunity, um, that was a disruption, but also created new space to do innovative things and really move that into, um, you know, revitalizing and repatriating our food system. So that's one of the things I'm most excited about. So thanks so much, Melanie, for joining us today. It's It was really great to talk to you. We we appreciate you spending the time with us and wish you the best of luck on the on the campaign. But before we let you go, one last question. Where do you go in New Mexico to reconnect? Oh, well, my two favorite places. So I grew up in Albuquerque. I grew up in the North Valley. And so for me, when I need to like, you know, calm down, feel connected, I like to go down to the Bosque and I like to take walks on the ditches down in the valley. Like that's for me, helps me like feel connected. But um, I live in the foothills and so um, almost every single day I walk out my backyard and go for a, a walk out in the arroyos out here in the foothills. So those are my two spots here in town. Thanks so much to Melanie Stansbury for sitting down with us. Uh, a super packed conversation. Yeah, there was a lot in there. I think a couple things stood out to me um, that I wanted to sort of re-emphasize and specifically, you know, she talked about her visit to a village in Alaska um, and and learning from some of the First Nations communities up there about the challenges that they face as climate change, you know, sort of literally changes the land beneath their feet. And the question that, you know, their experience posed and that that Melanie posed sort of in response was, you know, do you stay? Do you change your way of life if your way of life is tied to the land and the land is changing? 
And, you know, obviously that's a question that responds really specifically to that community and what they're experiencing. But I, I think it's a question that resonates and that so many will be faced with as the climate continues to change the land beneath our feet. What about you, Colin? What does Melanie have you thinking about? For me, I for me, I think the thing that resonated the most was when she talked about how these adaptation strategies really come from the bottom up. To me, I think that's super important. And um, I see that being the, the pathway to success for so many of the communities, especially the rural communities and those communities with, with deep ties to landscape um, in, in place. And where I see government playing a role and something that she mentioned was just in removing barriers. How can the government step in to allow those best ideas to rise up? I think when the government comes in to help remove barriers and support the best ideas, that's when when we actually see it operating at its finest in a lot of cases. Yeah, I completely agree. And I feel like it's something that we sort of learn over and over again. Um, before we let Melanie go, we did want to know who she considers climate influencers. Um, when she responded, she used the term climate heroes. And yeah, a few of the people that she named were Deb Holland and Laura Paskus. Um, who else was on the list, Colin? Yeah, she mentioned John Fleck, uh, Laura McCarthy, and Janine Yazzie. All of these people would be great guests. Yeah, it's a super inspiring list. So yeah, thanks so much to Melanie Sansbury for sitting down with us. Um, for those of you in the Albuquerque area in New Mexico District 1, um, the special election is June 1st. So hopefully you registered to vote. Go vote. It matters that you vote and it matters who you vote for. So take it seriously. So we'll see how this election turns out. Um, best of luck to Melanie. So thanks, everybody. That's it for the first episode. Thanks so much, Paige. It was great to have you as the co-host and look forward to a really super fun season. Perfect. I'm excited. <laughs>